0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources,
1: visit us online at northvalleychurch.org.
0: Well, good morning, North Valley. Great being with you this morning. Happy Fourth of July week, I guess it is. Uh, I hear a lot of people are traveling during this week, and so I hope that you have a wonderful time connecting with family, friends during the holiday season. Um, my wife and I love to go up to Anthem and see all the fireworks that uh, there 's so many spots in the valley you can find fireworks so uh, very ironic in the sense that we don 't get any rain so sure the sure the fire guys are on high alert. Uh, I want to encourage you uh, if you 've got a program go ahead and pull it out A couple things to mention right before we get started this morning is um, campus uh, update wise uh, i 'll talk to you about our campus update. Um, in just a moment, but uh, we have a special family serve day. Uh, My my kiddos and I, we're all going to get together and we're going to come work on the campus together. I want to encourage you um, there on your program. It says family serve day coming up on a Saturday from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. And that's going to be, uh, I hear one of the guys on the team, Ray Finch, is going to make a bunch of his famous burritos for all those that show up and do that. Uh, A lot of the work that we do here on the campus is all volunteer So I want to encourage you as a family, you want to bring the whole family out, we'll work for a few hours and and try to uh, just continue to maintain this campus. We have a lot of volunteers that do that every single week when you drive in. They are working real hard throughout the week to just keep this campus uh, clean and safe. So can we celebrate them just for a moment and say thank you? I really appreciate it. The church is like a family and we got chores in the family and the household and I appreciate everybody working together. Um, as far as the campus update, I asked that you just be praying about the campus. We have uh, we had some storage unit guys that were coming in trying to buy up these properties. I asked that you would pray uh, for, for God to raise up a generous donor or a generous land banker. And it looks like as if this week uh, we have a generous land banker who's going to make an offer to secure uh, the northern property, uh, which is a higher valued property and a really safe, wonderful blessing for our church to help position our church for future growth and to preserve our current ministry operation. So let's give praise to God for at least the progress we're making there. So uh, I'll keep you updated on that. We're real excited about that opportunity. And that land banker is saying, hey, I'll buy and hold the property for five years. And at five years, we can re-talk about a payment structure if and when the church, or, uh, if or or when the church would be ready to to do that. So um, um, keep praying for us on that. 12 o'clock, I ask you to set a little timer on your phone and just pray for for our church and our campus and the future ministry and campus development there. Well, um, this morning I'm gonna be talking to you about a breaking point. Specifically, we're going back into the Psalms. And so Psalms chapter 51, you can open up your Bible there. Uh, Today we're talking about King David's breaking point. Uh, let me tell you what a breaking point is not, um, and then I'll talk to you about what a breaking point is. Uh, a breaking point is not the point in which you kind of hit a low in your life, or you get caught in a sin, or get caught in a in some tough situation, and then you you try to make some changes, but you're really not remorseful. Um, I'll tell you a story about a breaking point in my life um, um, on a a more humorous note. Um, As a teenager, I grew up with my older brother, who was, at the time he was 16, I was 14. And uh, when you're 16 years old and you you got a a four-wheel drive red pickup truck, 1984 custom GMC truck, we'd go out blazing through the back country uh, in Arkansas, right outside the Rice Ranch and there was this dirt road, and my older brother, he's 16, I'm 14. Rob was my brother, is my brother's name. Not was, he still is. Uh, he, we're driving down the road, and he decides to tell me. He said, hey, Ryan, I figured it out. It's Friday night. We're going to have a little fun. I, I've learned how to ramp my truck. And so I said, awesome, let's do it. So we got in the truck, and we drove down the dirt road, and there was this concrete kind of uh, wash, and it was made a perfect ramp we hit it about 35, 40 miles an hour. We, the truck would lift off the ground, maybe a foot or two. And then he says, I, let's do it even better. Let's hit it about 45, 50, and let's see what we can do. And I'm like, all right, the heavy Chevy can do anything. Let's do this. So we, we bring it back. We ramp, come down, hit it. We go about four feet in the air. Flying through the air, you would have thought you heard the Dukes of Hazard horn go off. Do-do-do-do-do. So whatever. If we we hit, unfortunately the U-bolts broke, the leaf spring shot out the side of the truck, the axle broke off, and we're rolling down the dirt road. Uh, we we get back to the house, we get a ride back to the house, and my dad uh, find, we have to kind of come up with a story. Long story short, my dad says, What happened? My older brother's real creative. He said, I don't know. <laughs> and he looks at me, and I'm a little more creative, come up with a little bit of a story. Long story short, we were busted. We got real busted. Um, you would think that we hit a breaking point. We acknowledge our sin and confess and say we're sorry. We came up with all sorts of stories, and then we had to kind of repair and fix the truck the rest of the year. That's not a breaking point. That's not the kind of breaking point we're talking about this morning. Additionally, a breaking point's not when you just get freaked out or Uh, scared to death because you're in some kind of scary situation. Uh, This last week, went to Disneyland. I'm 40 years old or turning 40 years old. Never been to Disneyland before. I wasn't really excited about it, to be honest with you, to stand in long lines and be in the sun all the time and all that. So I watched all the documentaries on Walt Disney, figured out how I could just inspire myself to endure, but maybe try to enjoy the, the family vacation and got on a roller coaster ride, and I found out I was a little more afraid of roller coasters. And so let me show you a picture. This is me. I'm terrified. I think I'm more afraid than my seven-year-old daughter on the roller coaster. Um, When you go through a scary season or scary moment in your life, that's not a breaking point. What is a breaking point? A breaking point is the moment of one's greatest strain or weakness at which one gives in to a temptation and falls into sin. That's a breaking point. I want to give you the backstory on King David's breaking point. A powerful king of Israel, a warrior poet, said to be a man after God's own heart. Let me give you the backstory before we jump into Psalms 51. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, we get the backstory. I'll read to you just a couple of verses. It says in the spring of the year the time when the kings go out to battle David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah but David remained at Jerusalem it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing the woman was very beautiful and David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elaam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? The, song, uh, the second Samuel continues to tell us that David um, sins for her and then ends up sleeping with her. Problem is, is David's married. And he chooses a soldier that's busy at war uh, to have an adulterous relationship with his wife, The Bible tells us that David lusted after his neighbor's wife. He commits adultery. He gets her husband drunk. Then he kills him. And then he covers the whole affair for about a year. And finally, he's confronted by his friend and he repents. When we read Psalms 51, we're reading the story of David's breaking point. A mighty king. Now, let me tell you just for a moment We can get really upset with David and think, how can such a powerful, wonderful, godly leader fall and stumble so hard? I would also uh, just remind you of uh, the Scripture seems to indicate that the responsibility is still on David because it says that he sins for her. But the interesting irony of it is asking the question when you read the Scriptures is why in the world is this woman Bathsheba bathing on a roof? That's kind of an odd thing to do, even back then. Ladies, I know all of you just want to bathe on top of your roofs, but this is an odd thing. Uh, She was obviously positioned herself in a spot where maybe King David, it was customary in that time uh, where kings would walk around the rooftops of their kingdom and just evaluate and think and maybe get some exercise. It was springtime. It was the time when actually most kings were supposed to be going out to war because the the severe storms had kind of ceased, and kings would have gone. But David's a little apathetic. He's a little apathetic because he's had incredible military victory. And so he sends his armies, but he stays at home, and he's apathetic, and he's kind of lounging around. Scripture tells us he's on the couch, and he gets up. What I want to show you, though, is even though David may have been tempted by Bathsheba, he still is at the end of the day, he's responsible for his own breaking point. The breaking point for King David is serious. From now on in his life, he's going to have serious problems within his family. He's going to have serious problems with his own countrymen and the nation of Israel, and he's nearly losing the throne. So what do we find in Scripture? We find that David has a heart like God, and he returns to God in his breaking point, and he's going to allow this breaking point to become what I'm going to call a turning point. Let's read in Psalms 51. It says this Psalms 51. Now that you know the backstory, let's watch his breaking point prayer. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to what? According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now let me stop right there. Notice what he says, very unique. He says, my transgressions, my iniquity, my sin, my sin. He's coming before the Lord. He's acknowledging his sin He's acknowledging his transgression. He's acknowledging his iniquity. Watch the rest of the way through the next few verses. Against you, O Lord, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin, did my mother conceive me? Behold, you delight in the truth and the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. And here's the famous passage that we know and we've heard. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for your word and the great case study that we get to look at at King David's breaking point. I pray, God, in any of our situations that we find ourselves in today, or maybe that we will go through in the near future, that in the midst of a breaking point, God, when we've fallen into sin and temptation, Lord, let us be reminded that you are always with us and that according to your love and according to your mercy, you can grant mercy and forgiveness and we can find hope and healing. And so Lord, today in the breaking points of our life, might we decide to join you and let that turn into a turning point for our good and your glory in Jesus' name. So the question comes is when you hit a breaking point, what do you do? We're going to look at a case study in the life of David based on Psalms 51. The first thing you need to do is you need to realize the consequences of sin. In in David's life, I I am very appreciative of this. Um, We see that he uses words like transgression, iniquity, and sin. Transgression means that you've crossed the line. David knows that he's crossed the line morally and ethically, he's abused his power like so many do. In high leadership positions, he manipulates the situation to get whatever he wants. But what's appreciative of what I see in King David is that he's acknowledging he's crossed the line. Something very few leaders will do when they blow it and they mess up, they'll sweep it under the rug, but not King David. He acknowledges that he's crossed the line. Iniquity means something about internally crooked or twisted. King David takes responsibility. He realizes his sin and the consequences. He's saying, something's internally wrong inside of me. Something's a little crooked. Something's a little twisted. Sin, what is sin? Sin is disobeying God's word in ways by sins of commission or omission. When I got busted with my old brother Rob and we went to my dad, we left out a lot of important details like we ramped the truck. We decided to leave that part out. Uh, don't forget we rebelled against my dad's wishes and what he wanted. We 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 there are sins of commission, things that you do, and there are sins of omission, things that you omit. King David, one of the one of the most tragic things that I see in his life that he omitted was that he waited for an entire year to speak up about his sin, that he had. Had an adulterous relationship with one of his soldiers' wives, that he had uh, had that soldier later murdered and then covered it up. Thank God for good friends. Nathan comes to him and confronts him and says, You're the perpetrator, you're the liar, you're the one that's crooked and twisted within. Look what King David acknowledges in the consequences of sin. Psalms 32, 3 through 4, tells us about that year of silence. We see that there's physical and emotional and spiritual unhealth when we don't deal with our sin. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Um, I wonder why. Because when you conceal something, when you're lying to yourself, there's an uneasiness and you feel a deep level of pain and misery. What was David's problem? He was depressed. He was discouraged. Why? Why? Depression, just clear uh, description of depression is this, unexplained aches and pains, an increase of physical complaints such as headaches, back pain, aching muscles, and stomach pain. That's what King David had. He's acknowledging that. He's saying something physically feels wrong with me. But it's also this emotional pain that he feels. He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. He felt the the spiritual, the hand of God was heavy upon him. What was God doing? God was trying to get King David to walk through a breaking point. A real breaking point is realizing that you've fallen into sin and into temptation, and then asking God for his mercy in the midst of it. Day by day, he says, my strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Depression, when you're depressed and when you're discouraged and when you're living in a, in a, a, a state of like this, when you're hiding something, there can be a loss of energy or a feeling of helplessness or hopelessness. Secondly, we see in the life of David the consequences of sin. There's a sense of being unclean. He says this in Psalms 51:2. He says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This idea of being washed clean, I was studying this week and wondering where we got that phrase where we think about um, um, when Pontius Pilate said this, my hands are clean of this. When they brought Jesus before um, uh, Pilate, he had a decision to make, deliver him over to the uh, nation of Israel to be scourged and crucified. And Pilate chooses to do so. And then in some act of symbolism, he says... I wash my hands clean of this. And he releases Jesus to be scourged and then later to be crucified. King David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. There's a sense of when we sin against God and others, there's a sense of being unclean. What you watch with your eyes, what you do with your hands, when you commit sins, you feel a sense of being unclean. And David is saying, I'm not going to wash myself. He says, I need God to do this. What we see is an appropriate sense of remorse, and he's wanting to be washed by God's grace and His mercy, his, according to His steadfast love. Thirdly, we see that there's a loss of joy. Psalms 51, 8 says this, and 12 says, Let me hear joy and gladness. He had lost his sense of joy. He's asking God to renew his joy. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Restore to me, verse 12, the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Losing our joy is one of the most dangerous things that we can do as Christians. You can lose your joy by doing some of the following. We lose our joy when we become apathetic and dismiss the devotional life with God. King David was apathetic by not going to war with the rest of his soldiers that, that day after springtime. He was apathetic. When you get apathetic and you distance yourself from God, you can lose your joy. When we stop giving thanks and lose the attitude of gratitude, we can lose our joy. When you begin to dream outside of the will of God about wanting someone or something that's, that's not yours, that's called coveting, you can lose your joy. King David had a dream outside of God's will and saying, that beautiful woman over there, I want her. Go get her. When you begin to desire someone or something or covet, want something, you can lose your joy. When you compare yourself with others constantly and their success and their triumphs and their joy and their perfect little pictures on Facebook and all the other things, you can lose your joy. When you have impure thoughts and give in to impure actions, you can lose your joy. You can lose your joy when you forget what you're living for. What King David says is, Let me hear joy again. Restore to me the joy. He wants that back. Third, fourthly, we see that there can be a hardened heart when we don't deal with the consequences of sin. And he realizes that. He says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken, contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. What King David realizes is that the heart of The hardened heart is a very dangerous place to be. He needed his heart to be broken because it was calloused. It was hard. In Scripture, a persistent inner refusal to hear and obey the Word of God, or in a more general sense, an uncaring or unsympathetic attitude towards God or towards people is a hardened heart. When you say things like this, this is how you know if you've got a hardened heart. You say things like, I don't care. Or, so? Or when somebody tells you something that's important and they try to point it out to you that you blew it, they say, well, oh well, it doesn't matter. Or maybe you say, it's no big deal. That's an indication that your heart is hard. All throughout Scripture, the Bible tells us negative examples of people that harden their hearts. Pharaoh had hardened his heart the nation of Israel had hardened their heart. The Jesus' disciples had hardened their hearts. When Jesus taught about the parable of the four soils, he talked about the rocky places and the soil that was rocky. And he likened that to a hardened heart. What King David is realizing that when you're not, when you're not letting the breaking point move all the way through and acknowledge your sin, then you're struggling with a hardened heart. And he's saying, God, I need you to break my heart. Prayers like we heard last week when Pastor Bob came in and he spoke and he said, you need to pray prayers like this. Lord, break me. That's a bold prayer. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Hardened heart. Fifthly, we see that uh, the consequence of sin is fellowship with God is fractured. He says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He senses that The Spirit of God is, the relationship that He has, the presence that He has with God is fractured. The Bible teaches us this, that that God doesn't take away the Holy Spirit when we sin, but it does grieve Him greatly when you sin. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Did you know that when you sin against God and you don't deal with it, that you grieve the relationship that you have with God. It's like in a relationship either with a spouse or a friend. If you're close and you have great friendship and fellowship, and when you hurt one another, there can be a distancing and you feel like that fellowship or that friendship is fractured and it needs to be repaired. And so what we learn in Scripture, though, is the good news is, is Jesus said, "You're never. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be with you for always. He says this, uh, concerning the Holy Spirit. And he says in John fourteen sixteen, and I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. You can never lose the presence of God in your life, but you can lose the fellowship and the intimacy that you have with God based on how you're living in your relationship with God. It's just like a relationship you have with people. When you're at odds with one another and you haven't made up, then you feel a sense of Distancing. King David acknowledges that and doesn't want to lose that presence and that power. So he asked God to restore that, renew that. And that's the appropriate prayer. Secondly, we see that that we need to, when we hit a breaking point, is repent of all known sin. That means this. Repentance is a sincere change of mind that involves confession, change, and contrition. If we're to repent... That means, literally, we change the way we think about our situation and our sin, and we begin to see things as God sees things. You can't really restore, and you can't get through your breaking point and turn, get towards the turning point unless you acknowledge what you've done. King David does that, and he does that very well. In, in Psalms 51, 4 through 5, um, perhaps one of the most important passages in Scripture when we look about sinning, against God. You know, I did a study this week to see how many times we saw this phrase in, with a concordance. Look what he says about confession. He says, against you, he's talking about the Lord. He says, a you only have I sinned. That phrase, have I sinned, is mentioned um, um, just about a dozen times in the Bible, from Old Testament, New Testament. But the phrase sinned or I, I uh, uh, sinned, is mentioned hundreds and hundreds of times. My point in saying this is that true repentance acknowledges that I have sinned. Not just acknowledging, oh, there was a sin, there was an offense, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, King David says, it's me. And look how personal he makes it. He says, against you, speaking to the Lord, you only have I sinned and then he goes further and he says and done what is evil what we need is when when we blow it when we mess up or anybody in a position of power or anybody that makes an offense acknowledges when we sin we got to understand we're making an offense to god to the holy righteous almighty high king of heaven he says against you you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight what was evil He had murdered. He had had an adulterous relationship. He covered it up. And he continues on, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He takes it a step further. He says, not only have I committed a horrendous sin against God, but I've done this. I was born into sin is what he says. Um, That concept is from St. Augustine who coined the phrase throughout church history that we share in many of our uh, uh, religious groupings of Eastern Orthodox, uh, Catholics, and Protestants, all the same, understand this concept called original sin. And much of that idea was coined by uh, St. Augustine through this verse right here where David acknowledges that from the very beginning he was brought forth in iniquity. Iniquity means born a little crooked or twisted. The idea is that when Adam fell and uh, rebelled against God's word and God's ways that sin entered the world and every uh, person on the planet after our first parents, Adam and Eve, the sin spread like a virus and corrupted every single one of us at some level or another. That's called the original sin and it spread through all of humanity. So if you, when you uh, have children, if you've had children before, you realize that when you have a little baby... And you release them on the floor and they're learning to walk. Um, They'll grab a toy and they'll pull it and they'll keep it towards them. Then you have another baby and you let it loose in the house. And it's chasing the other one. And the big brother or the big sister will have the toy. And then the little one will try to get it. And then the big one will say, pull it away and say what? Mine. And then the little one will try to grab it. And then the big one smacks them. And then you're saying, oh my goodness, we have a little baby fight on the floor. Then the next thing you know, one baby grabs the other baby and just bites them. Wah! Why is that? Because every sing- you, we don't have to teach a little child how to hit, how to lie, how to say mine. We're born into that. There's something a little crooked or twisted in every single one of us. And what King David is acknowledging, he's saying, that was with me from the very beginning. And it actually gives us a little hope for humanity because we don't have to fix ourselves. We need God's superintending power from upon high to fix what's inside of you and what's inside of me. So the scripture tells us that from the very beginning, it was like this. King David acknowledges and he makes this confession. Recently, I heard a story about a professional athlete that was busted with a bunch of drugs. And they asked him, why, are you, why did you take all these drugs? And he says, well, uh, you know, I know it's, it's wrong or whatever. I hear it's wrong, but I really took the drugs because I have these problems and I really have a condition, and therefore I need the drugs. Very little responsibility was taken about his actions. Other, in other words, he just blamed it on some condition to, to medicate himself with illegal narcotics. King David doesn't do that. He moves from confession and he moves to change. Look what he says. Create in me a clean heart. He doesn't say, I will create in me a new heart. He says, God, I want you to do this. I need you to do this in me. The, the heart that I have is not clean. The heart that I have is impure. The heart that I have is not right. Something's twisted internally within inside of me. There's iniquity, there's sin, there's offense. He says, oh God, renew a right spirit within me. He has a wrong spirit within him. He doesn't have the right spirit within him. What you and I need is when we hit a breaking point and we fall and we blow it and we mess up, we hit a breaking point, we repent of all known sin through confession and make a change. And we don't make that change just in our own effort. We ask God to do it in us. Contrition. This is heartfelt remorse. This is really feeling and sensing how God feels about it. It's not a trite little apology, but it's feeling a sense of deep remorse. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Contrition is when, you're, when your heart is in it, when your apology is not just an apology, but it's a confession and saying, what I did to you was wrong. I'm really sorry. I know it made you feel this way. I feel terrible about that. Some of us don't have that emotional bandwidth to get there sometimes when we blow it. So this is what we should do. You go into the other room and you say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours because I don't feel the pain and the hurt maybe like you do, nor this other person that I've sinned against. So change my heart. Great prayer is renew my heart Cleanse my heart, change my heart. And we know this. The Bible teaches us that God is faithful to forgive us our sins as we confess our sins to Him. That's the good news, is that we don't have to clean up ourselves, that God cleanses us, can turn your sins and make you wash you whiter than snow. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. And he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only do do we need to return from our sins by repenting, but also when we hit a breaking point, you need to rely on God's cleansing mercy. David wanted God's mercy to cleanse him. When he hit his breaking point, he acknowledged his sin, he realized the consequences, he repented of them, and then he relies on the mercy. He says, have mercy on me. That's the first thing he says in verse 1. Have mercy on me. Mercy is getting something that you don't deserve. He didn't deserve it. He was a king. He had power. He had position. He had prestige. He says, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. The plea of David's prayer was based on the character and the nature of God. If you know who God is, you know how to go to Him and ask Him for what only He can give you. David didn't try to fix himself. He goes to God and he says, God, I know that you're merciful and it's according to this, your steadfast love. The unending love. The covenantal love. The promising love. He says continually, according to your abundant mercy. And then he says this, would you blot out my transgressions? That phrase, blot out, would be like in a checkbook or a register where you're keeping financial records or debts or whatever. You take a white out and then you just white it out. He says, would you blot out my transgressions, the crooked things that I've done, the wrong things that I've done, the evil things that I've done. And then verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The important thing that you need to realize is that only Jesus can cleanse us from our sin. You can't cleanse yourself. Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. This, first John six through seven says, "But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. When you blow it, you need to know as a Christian that the price has been paid on the cross. That you experience his cleansing renewal and you just need to claim that and say, God, I know that you went to the cross for all my sins, the past, the present, and the future. And today I'm claiming that by confessing to you, I know that you're just, I know that you're faithful. Cleanse me again. You feel that and sense that in that. You need to know that not a pastor or a priest can cleanse you of your sins. You need to know that not a reverend or some rabbi nor teacher or some preacher can pardon you or cleanse you of your sins. The Bible teaches that Jesus and Jesus alone can cleanse us from our sins. And King David knew that it was God that gave the cleansing. He knew that it was God himself that would grant the mercy and the abundance and the love to pardon him. In Psalms 51, 16 through 17, we learn that good works and religious acts cannot cleanse sin. You can't go to church enough. You can't make a great sacrifice or make some significant offering to pardon you or to free you from your sins, from that burden, from that hindrance that you feel. He says, for you will not delight in a sacrifice. He knows God's not going to delight anymore in sacrifices. It's not just one more thing that King David can do to try to make a appease a, a, a for his problems. He says, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God. Here's what they are. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You know, earlier I'd mentioned St. August, Augustine. Um, he was a guy who had a broken heart. His mom had prayed for him for a long time. Church history tells us he lived a licentious lifestyle, ran around with a bunch of ladies, drank a ton, and one day God saves him radically and transforms him. He's walking through the street one day, and some of his old party friends saw him on the street and said, hey, Augustine, Augustine, hey, it's you. And he says back to them, he says, it's not the same Augustine. My life's changed. Augustine had experienced the cleansing within Augustine had experienced the power and the presence of Christ and had broken him free from the patterns of the past and to walk in a newness of life. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Maybe some of you have a hardened heart. Maybe some of you have a prideful spirit and that needs to be broken. The Bible says that he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The sacrifices of God... Or simply a contrite heart, a remorseful heart saying, God, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to heal me. I need you to renew me. We see not only in that is this, is the last point I want to make is this, is that God wants to use the breaking points of our lives for a turning point. That's what He wants to do. I want to invite up Joshua, our worship leader, to tell you about one of his most significant breaking points in his life and one of his most major turning points. So would you welcome up with me, Joshua. So Joshua, you have made your big uh, trip out here all the way from Indiana and yes. uh, grew up on a, a farm and you have joined us and you're doing an incredible job. I'm so proud of you. you. Love love doing ministry with you. And uh, this is a big step. So why don't you tell us before you get to the breaking point, and then your turning point. Talk to us about your backstory, just for a bit with your family and whatnot.
1: Yeah, so like you said, from Indiana, a small farming community uh, called Wabash. It's kind of close to Fort Wayne, if you're familiar with, with the state at all. And so uh, mom and dad, there's still there's a picture of them. They're, they're happily married. My mom and dad, after 40 years, they, they were high school sweethearts. Um, uh, that's my brother on the top left-hand side, a the, the little bit taller. I hate to say he's a little taller than me, but he is. Um, But he and his wife, Heidi, next to him have have two little girls, uh, a two-year-old and a one-year-old, and then my sister, Casey, there in the white next to me. um, She and her husband, Tyler, have have two little kids of their own, a six-year-old little girl and a a four-year-old boy. Um, So, so yeah, that's my family there, beautiful family. I miss them. They're all back in in Indiana right now, so that's been a little bittersweet, but... um, See, I, I had the fortune of, of a great family growing up, uh, growing up in a Christian home, uh, going to church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, uh, VBS in the summer. So I was, was very actively involved in that growing up. Thankful for that. As I grew up through school and high school, I was very passionate about sports and was heavily involved in, in, in that, playing basketball and baseball. Ended up doing that in college. I played college basketball at, at a small Christian university called Taylor University University. Uh, there in Indiana. Uh, While I was in in school, I was also an education major, and so after I graduated college, I spent the next five years in the public school system, teaching high school uh, health and physical education, and and also did some coaching as well with basketball and baseball. So, So I did that for five years, and then after that, I actually transitioned to life on the farm and I did that for for four years. Uh, my, my family, our family farm, uh, we've been in operation for for about 183 years now, wow. and so it's it's been really really incredible to to be a part of that in a small way. And, and um, so that's what I was doing for for four years. Then after teaching, uh, before moving out to to Phoenix about a year ago.
0: And so in your farm, I mean, it's a, been in the family 183 years. How big is the farm? And then what old do you guys farm? Just.
1: Yeah, so set, set a little, set a little up. <laughs> so we grow corn and soybeans, and uh, we we farm a you know, couple couple thousand acres. So it's grown over the years. My dad has done a really great job and, and being a good steward with, with that in his lifetime. And then we also have livestock. We have a, have a pig operation, a, a hog farm, uh, if you will, and uh, we we have a bunch of pigs. And how so many
0: is a bunch?
1: <laughs> we have about twelve thousand pigs that we take care of. At one time, so I, that's a lot of bacon. It is. Yeah, yeah we're, a, we're feeding America. Yeah, are putting, putting yeah, feeding on the America, yeah, right? <laughs> so that's what I did for uh, most of my time was spent uh, with, with the hogs and, and taking care of that, also with, with the grain farming as so well. So you, your
0: story's a little bit like mine. Like you got a, a solid family, but then you know you went through a season of rebellion, and you know for time's sake is let's speed that up. But you told you told you talked about earlier just that kind of a. But ran towards a pathway of rebellion, living a licentious lifestyle, wrong relationships, all that kind of stuff and then but then you hit a breaking point, fast forward us to kind of your significant breaking point, and then tell us how you got there yeah
1: so as he mentioned that, and i 'll touch on that a little later, but the breaking point I, I found myself in was several years ago when when I actually found myself um, with a system full of of antidepressant and anti-anxiety pills that I ingested. And I had that in my system, and I also found myself a few hundred feet up in the air. I I had climbed a a cell tower, and I was ready at a point in my life where I was ready to to end my life. And so that was my breaking point. I I had stopped trying to trust in the Lord, and I tried to take matters into my own hands, and, and I was just done. But uh, to back up to, to the backstory to kind of piggyback off, off of whats what he mentioned, uh, he, like he said, I said I had lived a life that I'm not proud of with relationships and deceitfulness and and um, that led to to a, an initial a uh, different bout with depression, a lot shorter, a lot less severe, but about with depression that was just full of shame and guilt and and regret. but the Lord pursued me uh, then, and he pursued me and, and And he ultimately led me to a point of repentance that Ryan talked about, where I was going in this direction, and he was calling me to turn around and go the other way. And thankfully, I was obedient to that and confessed the sin that I needed to confess to him, not only, but also to people that I had sinned against uh, along the way. And that really led me to a whole new season of life, a season full of joy and, and peace and And just a whole new path. I started getting plugged in 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 my local church, serving in in different capacities, one of those being uh, music ministry. And um, it wasn't long after that that God really started to put a a desire for for ministry long-term on my heart, and that's something that I really saw him leading me to in my future. Met met a beautiful young Christian woman, and, and we were soon engaged after that, and had marriage on my radar. Life was great. But then... Uh, the walls or the, the wheels started to fall off. Yeah. Um, I, I made the difficult decision of, of ending that relationship with my fiance. And uh, I had a piece about it at first, but but a few months went by and I had ended the relationship altogether. A few months went by and I reached out to her again. I, I realized that I had made a huge mistake. What did I do? I, I ran away basically and so I tried to reach out to her again and, and try to make amends and, and seek grace from her and hopefully get a new start, fresh opportunity. But understandably, I'd broken her heart and, and she didn't want anything to do with me at that point. And so I was left with, with, with my regret and that turned to shame and the shame into another season of depression. Only this time it was much worse. Um, four months went by. I woke up one morning, and, and it was this morning that I was talking about right at the beginning where I just had enough. You know, I decided to take all, all the pills that I could get my hands on and, and went to a cell tower and, and was was ready to, to end it right there. So. And
0: so you, you crawled that cell tower that day probably, my guess is, because you just kind of listened to the voice of the enemy and not trusted in God's mercy and grace and all that, and so you're hearing boy, the, the, the voice of the enemy saying, just take yourself out, you you were experiencing major regret, major discouragement, and really walking through a dark time, but what what got you down that day? How did God intervene in that breaking point moment where you're beginning to acknowledge the things that went wrong?
1: Yeah, and before I touch on that, real quick, it wasn't just the shame from from the broken relationship, Everything that he had dealt with and released me from earlier with my sinful past, it just came flooding back and just yeah. added to that shame. Yeah. But, yeah. but that day, thankfully, he, he met me at that cell tower. And, and in the midst of the lies that, that Satan was, was trying to tell me and get me to believe, um, I've never heard an audible voice from the Lord. I don't know if you have, but I haven't. But in that, that moment, in that day, in the midst of, of the lies that Satan was trying to feed me, I, I just felt and heard within the voice of the Holy Spirit. Just saying something simple. and It was just basically, Josh, what are you doing? This is not right. And and, and in that moment, I didn't feel any hope when, when I felt that and, and heard that. I didn't think that I would ever get better. But I just simply chose to be obedient to that and, and that voice. And, and thankfully, he, he led me down that day in, in in a way that obviously I didn't have planned in. But yeah. uh, he showed and, up.
0: And you shared with me your story more in depth and you know, I, I know it's his story is like so many of our stories where it's one step forward and then two steps back and then sometimes it's two steps forward and then one step back and but you you had an incredible experience where you said earlier you were in that hog barn. Take us right there. Yeah. What kind of move towards a turning point in your life.
1: Yeah, so fast forward Four months was when when the incident with the cell tower happened. Fast forward seven months, I was still in a very dark place, not any better at all. And uh, of all places, God showed up again. This time in a, in a hog barn, of all places. I, I was doing my morning chores, suffering my way through those. Um, that's when you're when you're battling depression. That's not a fun place to be, surrounded by. Hog crap. We'll just call it that. I mean, it is what it is. But (laughs)
0: twelve thousand of them. Yes. Yeah. Not a fun
1: place to be when you're dealing with depression like I was. But that day, and and walking around, I I would spend a few hours out there. And one thing I would do a lot of times was was put some earbuds in and listen to music and and help try to pass the time. And so that's what I was doing that morning. And and all of a sudden, I came across a a worship song uh, by Hillsong. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with with them. Uh, and, and I was listening to this song, and all of a sudden I come across these lyrics as they're, they're singing into my ear that, that say, with, with arms held high, Lord, I give my life knowing I'm found in Christ, in your love forever. And, and those very words, the, that truth, uh, just penetrated my heart. And, and I just felt in that moment God's grace just come flooding over me in, in an incredible way. The depression that I had dealt with for so long, the depression that I thought would never uh, leave me—it uh, was lifted in that moment. And, and yes, it, it was through a song, which was incredible. But little did I know that my family, through the love of my family and my church, and, and how God was just priming my heart for that moment. Um, but, but He released it in a moment, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, Hill, Hill song in a hog barn—that's that, my story. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of not, not your typical story, right. but, but that just goes to show that. That the lengths that God goes to and will continue to go to to, to reach us and, and to show us his love and to bring us back. Um, so I'm just so thankful to be here today.
0: Yeah, and God's used him. He was a part of a residency program at Christ Church of the Valley, uh, leading worship, and then um, I reached out to you, and then you made the trek all the way from Indiana all the way over here, and you you've got a brand new sense of calling and purpose and, and kind of moving forward in life and ministry. And what I love about Joshua's story is it's real life with real people. And uh, he had the boldness to share about that. And Joshua, we're so proud of you and thankful for God's work in your life. And I think you got a tattoo of a cell tower yeah, on Yeah, so if your you arm. see these
1: tattoos, I'm not that bad of a guy. It's just kind of my arm of remembrance. I do have a cell tower here and, and just kind of the story, just, just to help me remember and be thankful. Maybe, I, maybe you need a hog barn on the other side. I don't know about that. <laughs> <Yeah. but laughs> Dad would. Well, they don't like yeah. tattoos, yeah. but he might like that yeah. one. But, yeah. Well, let me That's pray for
0: what... you. I'm so proud of you. Let me pray, and let's all just pray silently there. Uh, Lord, we just give you thanks for Joshua. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your ministry to quicken his heart and his mind. In that moment, when the wind was blowing, and he's a couple hundred feet off the ground, that you ministered right in the darkest and the most deepest breaking point of his life. And he hears that and responds in faith and trust. And then crawls down, Lord, and moves through a season, Lord, where you begin to minister to him and the church and then other believers and other, your word. And then music ministers to his soul, Lord, and it's ultimately all you. And so we give you thanks, Lord, for m- taking a breaking point into making it into a major turning point in this young man's life. We give you thanks for him. We give you thanks for your great mercy and your steadfast love over all of our lives. May you use every breaking point that we ever meet. Uh, Lord, May we you choose to allow you to use those for major turning points for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Can we celebrate Joshua's work? Well, we're going to go into a time of communion, and so I want to invite the ushers up, and you're going to find two cups stacked together with the elements, and we want to encourage you to take those as you're ready. Um, communion is an opportunity for believers that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord to remember the great mercy and the great love that was displayed on the cross of um when Christ uh, made a sacrifice once for all. So today, maybe you acknowledge there's a breaking point in your life, either that you're in or that you've sent you're, you're going through. And you ask God, God, forgive me for that. I confess that in the name of Jesus. I ask for your cleansing according to your faithfulness, according to your kindness and love. And then allow God to use that, the Holy Spirit to guide you for a turning point, a significant turning point in your life. Um, From beginning to end, from the beginning of the story of God's work in humanity, He is faithful, He is redeeming, and He is restoring His people day after day. And so today we call upon the Lord. Let me pray and we'll be led in worship and you can take communion as you're ready. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your mercy. We thank You for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We just pray, God, in this time, might our hearts be more sensitive. Might our minds and our bodies be more aware of who you are and how wonderful your name is above all other names Lord might we experience that cleansing power of forgiveness and in our breaking points with confidence we can turn towards you and allow you to use those for significant turning points in the name of Jesus, Amen Thank you for listening, to become a supporter of
1: North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org